Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. All right, does anybody remember what we've been talking about the last three Sundays or so? What's that, that awesome Greek word? Anybody? Perichoresis, exactly. The word per- is perichoresis. I, I know I've, I've, you've all hopefully got this memorized by now, but I'm going to give you a little bit of review again of what that is. So the word perichoresis is a Greek word. Again, it's not a word that you find in, listed in the Bible, but it is a theological word in the sense that the uh, early church fathers used this word to describe the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the word perichoresis is a compound word that is, the first word is peri, which means perimeter. And the second word is choreography, means choreography, choreesis means choreography. And so the idea is that there's this circle dance. And where, the, where they used this word was, uh, was actually to describe a dance that was a celebra- celebration dance that the Greek culture used back in the day um, to celebrate weddings and things of that nature. And what they would do in the dance is they would, there's usually three, sometimes more, that would uh, perform the dance. And in the dance, they would weave in and out of each other. And throughout the dance, they would speed up. And and it was said that, that during the dance, even though they were three individual people, it looked like they were moving completely in unity and as one. So they were three distinct individuals acting and functioning as one body. And so when the early church fathers looked at that dance, they said, this is what it looks like between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they are three distinctly individual people, but they act in total perfect harmony with one another. What one is thinking, the other one is thinking. What emotion one is feeling, the other one is feeling. They are perfectly united, yet three distinctly individual people. So this idea of perichoresis, the circle dance, uh, we read, we've, we've been talking a lot about what that looks like. And, and we've been looking at John chapter 14 through John chapter 17, where it says many times, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And, and that we are one together. But then this incredible truth that I'm, I'm going to breeze over, even though it, it's not going to justify it. But this incredible truth that, the, that Jesus says in John 14 and also several times throughout John uh, chapter 14 and 17, he says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But then he goes on and says, but we are in you and you are in us. So not only do the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share this perfect love and unity with one another, but we have actually been invited into the circle dance. We have been invited to share that harmony and that love that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share with one another. And if we can just grasp that revelation and that concept, I believe it'll revolutionize everything about our devotion and our Christian walk. 
that we are not just sinners saved by grace, but we are literally sons and daughters of God invited into the dance with the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Absolutely incredible. Amen? Absolutely incredible. So we've covered a lot of things in this process, but today I want to jump into John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, uh, we're going to start in verse 1. Before we get in there, again, just a little con- context of what's happening. John chapter 14 is, is uh, what, what is happening in that, in that time is Jesus had just, in, uh, had just instituted the Lord's Supper. Judas has already uh, been, uh, been released to go and to betray Jesus. And Jesus has already washed the disciples' feet. So this is the night before Jesus goes to the cross to be crucified. And remember last week we talked about how the last thing somebody says is usually the most important. So Jesus knew he was going to the cross. He knew that these were the last things he was going to be able to say to his disciples. And John chapter 14 through John chapter 17 is the record of what Jesus was teaching his disciples in the last moments of his life. So they, they have, I feel like, an extra weight to these teachings in these words because it is the last thing that Jesus is telling his disciples before we go to the cross. So we know that John chapter 14, we know that Jesus at this, that that moment was sitting around the table with his disciples. At the end of John chapter 14, we, we haven't read it yet and we're not going to this morning, but Jesus, Jesus says, all right, get up, let's go. So, so John chapter 15 through John chapter 17, Jesus is either at the table still with his disciples, he's either on his way to the garden or he's already at the garden of Gethsemane when he's saying these words, or it's a combination of all of those. So we don't know exactly what's happening, where they're at, if they're in transition to the garden, if they're at the garden, if they're still around the table. We don't know that for sure, but what we do know for sure, once again, is that this is the night before he is betrayed. These are hours before his betrayer meets him in the garden. Okay, so we're going to start here in John chapter 15, verse 1. It says, I am the true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for you, or he cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and pruning, or I'm sorry, let me just start that whole thing over again, because that was horrible. Here we go. See, like I said, third grade reading level, right? All right, I am, the, I am a true sprouting vine and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. I'm gonna go ahead and stop right there, right from the beginning because some of you following along are reading this verse and realizing that the Passion Translation and probably your translation read that verse, verse number two, a little differently. Several of the translations, instead of saying that the, the branches are propped up and lifted up, say something along the lines of they are cut off, they are cast away. And I don't normally do this because I am not a Greek scholar. I can barely pronounce English, let alone do Greek stuff. But with this verse, I think I can, I can confidently say that the Passion Translation has gotten this one right. 
And again, the, that, that, the Passion Translation is not absolutely perfect, like no translation is absolutely perfect, but I can confidently say that I believe that the words that Jesus spoke in this moment do not give the indication that he, cut off, he cuts off the fruitless branches and throws them away, but rather he props them up and gathers them to himself. And let me show you why I feel like I can confidently say that. When you look at the original word here that Jesus speaks, it is the word ero. You like that tongue rule there? I practiced that all day yesterday. That's probably still wrong, but you don't know that either. So it's the word, I'm just going to say ero, A-I-R-O. And that word, when translated into English, means this, to lift from the ground, to lift in order to carry, and to carry off. I did not have the other, other uh, verses here, but if you look at that word uh, throughout the, uh, the Gospels, when, when that word is being used, Jesus is using that word to, to say things like, um, uh, take, I take up or take up my yoke, for it is easy and it is light. So it's to gather up, it's to, it's to lift up. So I do not believe Jesus is saying here in this moment that fruitless branches he cuts off. Rather, what he is saying is that he gathers the fruitless one up and draws them closer to himself. Let me read you the note here from Brian Simmons, who's the translator of the Passion Translation. This is a note he has uh, down in the footnotes. He says, the Greek phrase can also be translated, he takes up to himself every fruitless branch. He does not remove these branches, but he takes them to himself. As a wise and loving farmer, he lifts them up off the ground to enhance their growth. In the context, Christ's endless love for his disciples on the last night of his life on earth seems to emphasize God's love even for those who fail and disappoint him. And I love this last line that, that Mr. Dr. Simmons writes in here. He said, Peter's denial didn't bring rejection from Jesus. Peter's denial didn't bring rejection from Jesus. That instead of casting Peter to the side after he rejected Jesus, Jesus actually picked him up and drew him closer. That when you remain connected to the vine, when you remain connected to the vine and you mess up, you do something that is just dumb, right? You fall into some sort of sin and trap. Jesus does not remove you from the vine, but rather he draws nearer to you. Psalm says that he comes close to the broken hearted. I am convinced that if Judas, who was the very one who sold Jesus over, betrayed Jesus to the cross, I am convinced that if Judas would have remained attached to the vine, that if Judas would have found Jesus and repented, we would have been reading about Judas's acts in, or Judas's uh, redemption in the Bible. I'm convinced that if Judas would have found the eyes of Jesus, 
that we would have seen Judas completely restored and would have seen him there at the gate called Beautiful with Peter and John and saw the lame man come to life. I'm convinced that he would have been there on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and filled the room and clothed them all with tongues as a fire. I am convinced that if Judas would have remained attached to the vine, that he would have been next in line with Peter when Peter jumped out of the boat when he saw Jesus on the shore. What's the difference between Judas and Peter? The difference is, is when Peter fell, he ran to Jesus. When Judas fell, he ran away from Jesus. Judas cut himself off from the vine. I don't believe Jesus does the cutting. I believe we cut ourselves off from the source. Jesus is wanting to, us to run to him so he can prop us up and actually draw us closer and more nearer to him, the source. Listen, I want to tell you this this morning. If you have felt like you have disappointed the Father, if you have fallen into sin, if you have done something that you regret, I want to tell you this morning that the Father is not cutting you off from the branch, but rather he is asking for you to come closer so he can actually draw near to you and bring him closer to himself so that he can make you a fruitful branch once again. His desire is to draw closer, not to cut you off and to cast you away. He is a loving father, and he wants to draw you near, not cut you off and push you away. Amen? I have spent too long thinking God cuts me off from the vine every time I mess up, and I can't be restored until I begin bearing fruit once again, until I get my act together once again, until I, uh, until I start doing praying and reading my Bible once again. I feel like I've spent too long feeling like I'm cut off from him if I've done messed up and done something stupid. But in reality, the Father is wanting me to draw closer. The Father is wanting me to come closer. And he pulls, he doesn't cut us off. He actually pulls us closer to himself. Verse three and five of, uh, of John 15 it says, the words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you. So you must remain in life union with me for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. When you mess up, it's not his desire for you to turn away in disgrace. Rather, it's his desire to draw even closer. Amen. Let me go on reading here in John 15. It says, I, in verse five, it says, I am the sprouting vine and you are my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you live in union, life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, or that word powerfully can also mean to take root within you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done. When you live 
When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. Verse number nine says, I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. Let me read that one more time. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. The same love that the Father loves me. The same, listen, the same love that the Father loves me. The same love that the Father loves me. That word same there is another Greek word. I'm not gonna try to even pronounce it. But it means to the same degree. So Jesus is literally saying the same measure and degree that the Father loves me, he loves each and every one of you. I wanna tell you this morning this. You are not some failed experiment of the Father. You are not some idea God had that went awry and wrong. That the same love he has for Jesus, he shares with you. That he is as proud of you as he is of his son, Jesus Christ. Listen, you are not a bastard child. You are not illegitimate. He intended to make you in his image. And you are image bearers of the Father himself. He loves you with the same love to the same degree that he loves his son. Ephesians 1, 5 says it like this. I'm sorry, Ephesians 1, starting in verse 5, says, for they always, it was always his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. This unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. I can't say it enough. You are not a failed experiment. You are exactly who he intended you to be. And he loves you with a love that you cannot even comprehend or imagine. Which is why when you fail and mess up, he does not cut you off and throw you out like, like a father is, that is disappointed with his kid, kicks him out of the house. He does not do that with you, but rather he actually draws you closer into his arms and he shows you how much he loves you. And out of that love and repentance, what did we learn last week? It's love that empowers you in to obey. It's love that brings you into obedience, not discipline, not him being disappointed and yelling at you, not him putting his thumb on you and giving you a set of rules, but love empowers you to obey. It's him drawing you near that causes you to want to step out and do everything that he says. In fact, it, it says earlier, or if you remember in John chapter 14, it says that this, this is what uh, this is what caused Jesus to walk in obedience. It says that it was the empowerment of his love, the Father's love, that caused Jesus to walk in obedience and to do whatever he says. 
And it's by him drawing you close to him that causes you to walk in obedience. Many people who spoke at drug court mentioned that they had no legitimate father growing up. For those of you who were there, if you remember that, many of them, when they were telling their story and their testimony, many of them said that growing up, their, their father was absent or their, even, some of them, even their mothers was absent, but usually it was their father was absent. I remember there's one guy in particular that sticks out to me. And uh, he got up there and he, he was talking about his, his childhood and growing up. And he says, my dad was addicted to drugs his entire life and was never around. He was always gone. And then my mom abandoned me when I was a kid. And, he, and I remember he said something along these lines. He said, I was destined to walk in their footsteps. It was like I had no other choice but to walk in their footsteps. And I, am, I was where I was because he's not there anymore praise God. But I was where I was because I was destined to do that because my father was in that and he abandoned me. And my mother abandoned me when I was just a baby, when I was just a child. And I was destined to walk in this. Let me read to you this verse with that in mind. Back in John, John 15. So I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. If you keep my commands, you will live in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands. For I continually live nourished and empowered by his love. My purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. So those, those people in drug court, that, especially that young man, grew up without the love of a father, without the love of a mother. And what happened then was it caused him to go down this path of destruction. But Jesus is saying, the thing that nourishes me, the thing that empowers me is the love of my father. The love of my Father nourishes me and empowers me to obey and to walk forward. I want to tell you this morning, what nourishes you, what empowers you is the love of the Father. You know, I, in contrast to their, a lot of many of their stories, I grew up with incredible parents. I grew up with a dad who, who would often say, and he still says this, he says, you know, he, every now and then he'll just randomly go, you know, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm glad you're my son, right? Just randomly, you know, you're glad you're my son. And like every now I'm like, yeah, dad, I get it. You know, whatever. He's at every game that I grew up with. No matter when I grew, was growing up, he was at every game. No matter what their schedule was, my parents were there cheering me on in the stands. And if you've known my dad, which some of you got to experience that, uh, in softball this year, <laughs> you know he is cheering, right? <laughs> my, and still, I'm, I'm going to be 32 years old this month. Actually, my birthday is Thursday, if any of you need to know that. <laughs> I'm going to be 32 this month, and my mom and dad still, every, morning, every Sunday afternoon, pull up the live stream and watch me preach. And, you know, I'm an adult now, right? You wouldn't think those things would matter that much. But 
Their love empowers me and nourishes me. Because I know that even if I mess up, and listen, I had three older siblings that I watched mess up a lot. <laughs> I was perfect. But they messed up a lot. And my mom and dad loved them through all of it and continue to love them. And their love, my mom and dad, I know they're going to watch this this afternoon and be almost embarrassed by this. <laughs> but their love nourished us and empowers us. Jesus says that the Father's love nourished him and empowered him. I want you to take note here that he did not say it was his perfection that nourished and empowered Jesus. Even though he was absolutely perfect and sinless and spotless in every way, he did not say it is my perfection that empowers me. He did not say it is my holiness that empowers me. He did not say it's the miracles, my anointing that empowers me. He didn't even say it is the fact that I am God incarnate that empowers me. He said it is the love of my Father that nourishes and empowers me and causes me to move forward and to do things for the kingdom. And you know what? It's not even about doing things for the kingdom. It's about being nourished in his love. I want to encourage you this morning. It is not your perfection that nourishes you and empowers you. It is not you being spotless and sinless. It is not when you are doing everything right that then when you get your act together, then you can be empowered and do something for the kingdom and live with the manifest life of God. It is not when your life is completely put together. It is not your anointing that empowers you. It is not even reading your Bible and praying that empowers you. Some of the most knowledgeable people of the Bible are the most impoverished people on the planet. I can take you to a university right now and, and take you up to a professor who knows everything there is to know about the Bible and theology and are living, living impoverished. Their marriage is all screwed up. They're living in sin. They're dealing with all these issues and they know the Bible, but they are impoverished in life. So it's not even knowing the Bible or praying that causes you to be nourished and empowered. It is not even the fact that you are the righteousness of, in Christ Jesus that empowers you. It is the fact that the Father loves you with the same love that he has for Jesus. When you can be settled in the fact that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, that the Father doesn't cast you out, but rather he lifts you up and brings him to himself. When you can be settled in the fact that he loves you beyond what you can comprehend or imagine, when you can be settled in the fact that, that he loves you with the same love, that he loves Jesus, I promise you, you will live nourished and empowered to live with the manifested life of God inside of you. It is his love that nourishes you. It is his love that empowers you. 
It is his love that empowers you. I love how Jesus ends this verse right here. It says, my purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. That when you can walk in the love of God, when you can walk with the realization that he loves you more than you can imagine, when he loves you the same, with the same love that he loves Jesus, when you can walk in that, you will walk in overflowing gladness and joy that you cannot even imagine. And the, I believe the reason why is because then you're not striving to be perfect. You're not striving to get all of your I's dotted and your T's crossed. You're not striving to know theology absolutely perfectly. There's no striving. It's just simply resting in the fact that he loves you. And out of that love, out of that realization and that revelation that he loves you, the Holy Spirit then begins to teach you theology. The Holy Spirit begins to teach you how to walk in righteousness and in holiness. Out of that love, you begin obeying and hearing the voice of the Father. You begin, as we've talked about before, you begin becoming mature because you are now able to walk in and be able to be led by the Spirit rather than your own system. You know why we get systems? You know why we create systems? We create systems because we aren't rooted in the love of God. We create systems because we think if we follow all of these rules, then we'll somehow make it, uh, make it in our Christian walk. When in reality, if we just rest in the fact that he loves us, then we become fruitful and productive and we walk in holiness. We walk in righteousness. We walk in obedience because we know that he loves us and he draws us near. Paul, would you mind going and coming up. Thank you, Jesus. Let's go ahead and just stand together. I, I want to just pray over you to end this service. At the beginning of the service, I, I mentioned that I felt like the Lord was going to bring the spirit of adoption into the room. And that's where I want to end this morning in praying for you that the Holy Spirit would come in and make you realize that you are not an illegitimate child. That you, again, I've said it a couple times now, but you are not a failed experiment. And God is trying to pick up the pieces of where you messed up. That you are not some project of God, but you are sons and daughters. You are sons and daughters that he loves beyond what we can imagine. You are sons and daughters that he loves even in the midst of your failure and your sin and your, your mess ups, that he is not disappointed in you. That actually the contrary is true, that he is inviting you in to the circle dance. He loves you so much that he is inviting you to share in the same communion that he shares with the Son and the Holy Spirit. That he is in us and we are in him. And that's not 
once we get our lives together. That is right now in this moment when we say yes to the invitation that we can enter into that communion with the Father, Son, and Spirit because he loves us. So this morning right now, I just want to break off of you any thought that would say that you are illegitimate, any thought that would say that you have, to, you have been cut off from the vine because the opposite is true. You are being brought near. I believe right now in this moment, the Holy Spirit is drawing you to himself. That whatever sin that you've, you've encountered, whether whatever it may be, whether it's something as, as simple as, as lying, whether it's something like pornography, whether it's maybe you've uh, struggled in your marriages, maybe you've, uh, I, I don't know, what, whatever it may be, maybe you, you've dealt with alcohol or drugs or whatever it may be, whatever it is. The Father is saying, you are not cut off from me this morning. Rather, you are being brought near. You are being drawn near. And in my love, you will be nourished and empowered. In my love, you are nourished and empowered. It's the spirit of adoption. It's the spirit of adoption. I've been learning some about this word adoption by listening to a podcast from, uh, from Damon Thompson. Some of you have heard me mention that name before. But he, he talks about this word adoption. And it's the word, I believe it's weothesia or something along those lines. And when we hear the word adoption in our Western mind, we picture this family who wants to bring this child into them. We picture this them going to an adoption agency and picking out a, a kid to bring home and standing before a judge and then having that child become a family member of the mom and dad, which is absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I love everything about adoption. But adoption in, the, or in Jesus's time did not look like that. In fact, this word adoption is not taking somebody from a different bloodline and putting you into the family. It's actually the word adoption is the word placement, the placing of sons. And it, what it means is, is it's not taking a, somebody from a different DNA and ingraining them into the family. It's actually taking a child who is already uh, shares the DNA of the parents and placing them into the family. It's, it's, it's the idea even of the prodigal son who left and is being placed back into the family. And what I, when, when I'm saying the spirit of adoption is here, what I'm saying is that this morning, I believe that the Holy Spirit is placing you back into the family. That you felt like you were ostracized and you felt like you were illegitimate. But this morning, the spirit of adoption is coming in and saying that you share my DNA. You are a legitimate son and daughter and you are placed back into the family of God, into the perichoresis of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The spirit of adoption is here this morning. 
And I believe he's placing you back into the family, back into the fold, into your rightful place as a son and daughter this morning. Amen. I want everybody just to lift your hands with me as I pray this. Jesus, I pray right now that they would feel the manifested love of God envelop their being Jesus. Father, everyone in this room right now in this moment would feel the manifested love of God, the same love that you have for Jesus that they would feel for themselves right now. Some of them in this some of some of you in this room have even grown to dislike yourself. And I feel like this morning the Lord is going to restore that and the Lord is going to uh, uh, even cause you to love yourself. That as you realize the love the Father has for you, you are going to begin to love yourself once again because you realize he's not disappointed in you. So why should I be disappointed in myself? There's no need for me to be disappointed in myself because if the Father is not disappointed in me, there's no reason for me to be disappointed in myself. Father, I pray that, they would get, that we would gain the revelation that you love us and that we are legitimate sons and daughters and that everything from our life would be lived from that revelation that your love would nourish us and would empower us to live in the manifested life of Jesus. That your love would nourish us and empower us and call, cause us to walk in the, the goodness and the gladness and the same joy that Jesus walks in. Hallelujah. Let your love nourish us this morning. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to just say it one last time before we end. You are not illegitimate. You are not cut off and thrown away from the vine. But you are actually brought near to him that you are a son and a daughter and you are placed into the family of God and you are invited in to the perichoresis into the circle dance with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I encourage you once again this morning that when you go throughout your week this week, take full advantage of the fact that you are invited into that relationship. Walk every day with the understanding and the realization. You know, this when I as I've been learning this, I've had, I've had to retrain the way I think. I've had to retrain the way I think about devotion. And every day I have to remind myself that I am invited in to that circle dance, that the Holy Spirit is in me, that the Father, Son, and Spirit is in me, and I am in them. And I have to consciously remind myself of that so that I can walk in that. That when I'm reading my Bible, I'm not reading it with my own eyes, but I'm allowing the Holy Spirit in me to teach me. When I'm going throughout my day uh, at work or with my kids or wherever I am, that I'm in constant communion with the Father, Son, and Spirit. That He never leaves us. That we never leave Him. 
So I encourage you this week, take full advantage of that. Make a conscious effort to retrain your mind and to, to realizing you are invited in that circle dance. Amen? Amen. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. God, I thank you for that invitation. We say yes to it this morning. In Jesus' name.